Carter Report, in association with Three Angels Broadcasting Network, presents Sabbath worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A hearty welcome to all of our viewers in North America and in Russia. You will enjoy outstanding music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Dear friends, welcome to the service.
during the Second World War, when the Nazis were bombing the British, when London was burning, there was a father with his little daughter who took shelter in a shelter beneath the streets of London. Uh, the father was there by himself with his daughter because the mother had been killed in an attack by the bombers. And also, a little boy had been killed. And so there was this father and his little daughter who were down in a shelter beneath London as the Nazis were trying to bomb the British into demoralization. It was pitch black and there were two little cots that had been set up. The father had set up a little cot for his daughter and he got into one of the cots himself. And in the pitch blackness, with the wail of the air raid sirens and the crash of the bombs in this awful, fetid darkness, the father said to his little daughter, now I want you to go to sleep because I'm here. He said, I want you to go to sleep. The little girl had only lost her mother a few days before. And she said, Daddy, I will try to go to sleep. And a few moments later, she cried out and she said, Daddy, I'm trying to go to sleep, but are you still there? And he said, yes, I'm still here, just go to sleep. And the time went by and the sirens were still screaming and the bombs were crunching and the, the shelter was shaking. And in the darkness, the little girl cried out again and she said, Daddy, don't be angry with me. Are you still there? And he said, yes, I'm still here, go to sleep. Then after what seemed an eternity, probably only three or four, five, ten minutes, the little girl cried out again and she said, Daddy, please don't be angry with me. Are you still there? And is your face turned toward me? And he said, yes, I am still here and my face is turned toward you. I want you to know this today that whatever problem comes to a child of God, he can have the assurance that the face of his heavenly Father is turned toward him. Amen. God is still there. God has said, I will never, never leave you or forsake you. And today when I talk about the coming time of trouble and the collapse of the world financial system, it'll be good to know that God is still on his throne and his face is turned toward us. Mm -hmm. I want you to take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, and verse 1 and 2, please. We're going to turn up uh, many passages, and uh, we're going to start with the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, and verse 1 and 2. And I want to give every person here today the most sincere welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad that our viewers on 3ABN are with us today because we are going to talk about the coming world financial crisis. Book of Isaiah, chapter 43 and verse 1 and 2. Wonderful words. God says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have 
redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Now listen to the words. When you pass through the waters, what does God say? Tell me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. I believe this. Listen carefully. I believe that the church is going to be here on this earth during the great tribulation. I do not believe in the idea that the church is raptured home to glory and then the great tribulation comes. I believe that the Bible teaches that the church endures the tribulation. And God says, I will be with you. That's the good news. God does not deliver his children from trouble, but he goes with them into the burning fiery furnace. You know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? God allowed those people who were his representatives to go into the fire. God did not rapture Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego home to glory and then let the tribulation come. The tribulation came upon them. But the good news is this, that in the midst of the fire, Jesus came down and walked with them in the midst of the fire. That's the good news. So whatever happens to the world, whatever happens to you, whatever your problem may be, the message of God is firm and certain and sure. It is this, I will be with you. I will be with you in the fire. I will go with you into the flood. I want you to come now to some other passages because these passages are not just important. These passages are tremendously important. I want you to come to the gospel according to Luke chapter uh, 21, please. Luke chapter 21 and verses 5 down to 12. And we're going to do a little bit of study on eschatology now. Luke chapter 21 and verses 5 down to 12. We've been talking about these chapters, the chapters on the signs of the times uh, during our Tuesday night meetings. And today I'm going to continue on what I left off last Tuesday night. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5 and onwards. Have you folk got the passage? Please notice it. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and decorations. This is the great Jewish temple that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Jesus said, as for these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So this passage here is talking primarily about the time of trouble that came to the Jewish people in 70 AD. But that was a type of the end of the world. Verse 7, and they asked him saying, teacher, but when will these things be? What sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near. Therefore, don't go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, 
and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there'll be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So Jesus is talking here about those events that preceded the overthrow of Jerusalem and the sacking of the temple in 70 AD. But listen carefully, as we have pointed out on the Tuesday nights, those things that occurred in the build-up to the overthrow of the Jewish temple in 70 AD are going to be repeated how? On a world-wide scale. And there comes to the church of the living God the greatest test. And this is called in scripture the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. And then after that comes the second coming. Matthew 24 and verse 2. Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? And this is in the context of the Jewish temple because verse 1 talks about the temple. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Verse 2, Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, Please let me just back up a little. Luke 21 is a repetition of Matthew 24. And we're going to see that in Luke 21 you have some things that you don't have in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 concerns the last events of the world which were typified by the overthrow of the Jewish temple in 70 AD. So if you want to understand what is going to happen in the last days, you need to understand what happened to the Jewish people and the temple back there before 70 AD and in 70 AD. Now notice please verse 7 and 8 of Matthew 24 and you'll notice how the words are very similar to the words in Luke 21. Please look at it. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there'll be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Now verse 8 is important. Please look at verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows and when it says beginning of sorrows the word that is used here in the Greek uh, refers to the birth pangs that come upon a woman when she's about to bring a baby into the world. And the birth pangs, as every person knows, become the birth pangs become more intensive and they come at uh, a greater rate. They come with a greater rapidity. And so the things that happened back there in the days of Jesus before the temple was overthrown, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences and the wars are going to be repeated around the world and they're going to become more intensive and they're going to come with a greater frequency. And so I want you to come now to another verse here. Look at verse, verse 9 because this is important. It says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. There you have the great tribulation. This happened to the Christians and this happened to the Jews. They'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. Now if you come down to, to verse 14, it describes the context of the great tribulation that comes upon the church. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. So this is talking about something which is happening in our day. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. 
This is the great Antichrist who comes against the church. Just as the Roman soldiers came against the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD, so the armies of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, these armies are going to come against the church. The church does not escape the tribulation. The church goes through the tribulation with Jesus. Now verse 16 and onwards, it says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, and let not him who is in the field go back uh, to get his clothes. Get out of the city as quick as you can. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those with nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter because of the, the difficulty of travel in winter time, or on the Sabbath because of the sanctity of the Lord's day. Don't flee if you can avoid it on the Sabbath. For then there'll be great tribulation. Now here it is such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Therefore, it is, I can't understand how a person can avoid the conclusion of these texts. It's, it baffles me. The Bible says the great tribulation comes upon the church, the Bible says, unless those days were shortened, not a single solitary soul would survive this awful holocaust. But for the sake of the elect of God's people, those days are going to be shortened. Now listen to this. The church of the apostles went through this tribulation. That's an historical fact. The church has never in its history been spared the great tribulation. The church in the dark ages went through the great tribulation. A hundred million believers like you and I were put to death because of their faith in Jesus. The church in Russia during the century has gone through a great tribulation. And some of us are so unspiritual as to believe that the church in the last days is going to be raptured home without the great tribulation. The Bible tells me that the great tribulation comes upon the church in the last days. But the good news is this, that Jesus will be with the church in the last days. Uh, the poet said these words, and we ought to think about these words seriously. He said, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? In other words, did God only think the apostles and the church in the dark ages and the church in Russia of such sufficient merit to endure the great tribulation whereas the church in the last days will escape these things. The truth of the matter is this that the greatest time of trouble is still ahead for the Christian church. But I say again during that time and you'll need to believe this today because of the revelations I'm going to give you you'll need to believe it the good news that God has promised to be with his people. Now come back now to Luke 21, and we're going to pick up where we left off there, but I wanted to give you that from Matthew 24 because it's all in the same context, and it makes it very, very plain that the church goes through the tribulation. The carnal heart, of course, doesn't like tribulation. None of us like tribulation. But the Bible says that the church in the last days goes through the tribulation. Luke 21 and verse 25 and onwards. Got it? Luke 21, verse 25 and onwards. Please notice it. And there'll be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth... Finish it, please. What does it say? Hmm. Say it loud. Distress 
of nations with what? With perplexity. And I'm going to talk about that today when we talk about the coming financial collapse. Distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things that are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, this week I've done some uh, very interesting research into the economy of the United States of America and also the economy of the world. Uh, while I could quote you other books, today I'm going to quote this book basically called Bankruptcy 1995. You can pick it up in any big bookstore. Bankruptcy 1995. The editor was a part of the Grace Commission that was set up by President Reagan uh, in an attempt to do something about the mounting debt, the indebtedness of the federal government and the United States of America. Uh, these people met for a long time and they brought in the best business minds in, in the United States of America. These findings have largely been ignored by our government because of vested interests. If what this man says is true, I want to tell you folks something. Now you just listen to this and the folks listening on 3ABN, you listen to this too. If these conclusions are valid, what I'm going to tell you today, and I personally am convinced, I am a believer, I believe that what he's saying is true. If the conclusions of the Grace Commission set up by President Reagan are true, then the time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation is not far in the future. And if that is so, the church needs to get ready for the Great Tribulation. The church needs to turn to God, we need to repent of our sins, and we need to get ready for the coming time of trouble. But I want you to know this, we do not face the coming time of trouble with pessimism or with fear, because God has said, I will be with you. When you go through the waters, I'm going to be with you. When you go through the fire, you're going to be scorched, but you're not going to be burned. Uh, page 9 of the book says, the end of America as we know it. The United States is a problem that is easy to understand, but whose effects are difficult to comprehend. Its solution is simple to prescribe, but hard to implement. This problem is more insidious than drug addiction, more pressing than recession. It is crueler than poverty and illness, and more hazardous than a hole in the ozone. So it sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Mm. Solving this problem is more important than anything uh, else American politicians, business leaders, and ordinary citizens have to do. If it isn't solved, no other concerns will matter, not health care, not education, not the uh, success of our industries. This problem, which is of our own making, will precipitate an economic nightmare that will dwarf the Great Depression and turn the story of America into one of history's closed chapters. This problem has a name, it is government debt. Now, what I'm going to say today, I hope alarms you. I hope it concerns you. Uh, this talk today 
is not going to be a fireside chat where I'm going to say as a preacher, uh, everything is well and rosy and you can continue to sleep on. If what I'm telling you today is true, then the church and the world and the government are facing the greatest crisis. And life as we understand it and society as we understand it could soon cease to exist. If what I'm telling you is true today, and you must reach your own conclusions, but if what I'm telling you today is true, brother new, we are soon going to have the riots of South LA in Glendale and everywhere right across this country. If what I'm going to tell you is true. Let me tell you uh, some things that I've discovered I must admit, I went to bed last night thinking about these things, praying about these, these things, and I woke up thinking about these things, and I thought, if this is true, I'm going to pray today that God will somehow take me and use me and bless me to shake the people up. Hmm. Now, we don't usually come to church to get shook up, but if I can shake you up today, if you're not ready for the coming of Jesus... And if you think it is business as ordinary, I want to tell you, you need to be shook badly today. And I hope the Spirit of God will shake some of you today. That's telling it to you. Okay, here are the facts. By 1995, and I want to say this before we go any further, we ought to pray for Bill Clinton. You may not support his party. I'm not a politician. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. Certainly not a communist. <laughs> I'm not into politics. I think ministers ought to stay out of politics. That's my personal opinion. But I want to tell you folks something. I am praying for Bill Clinton. He has the greatest challenge of any president in the history of the United States. And it is not a challenge basically that has been brought about by himself. It hasn't been. He has inherited a tremendous mess. And there has been the greatest cover-up in the history of the United States. These are the facts. Ross Perot, of course, knew a lot of these things, and when I watched him on television, I thought, if Ross can have these charts, I reckon I can have some too, so I did some last night. <laughs> Except I think he had a, bit, a better budget than I had. Hmm. Yeah, I think he's got a budget of, what, three or four, oh no, billions and billions. Well, we're not quite there yet. By 1995, when? Yeah, if at present rates, at present rates, unless Bill Clinton can turn it around, at present rates, the accumulated debt of the United States of America will be $6.56 trillion. Now, you all look staggered. I'm not, I'm, I don't even understand that. $6.56 trillion. Listen to this, and this will give you some idea what it means. That amount of money is nine times the amount the government will collect in taxes for 1995. Did you hear that? The accumulated debt of the United States of America by 1995, unless there is a dramatic, tremendous turning around in this government, the debt is going to be, the accumulated debt is going to be nine times the complete income of the federal government for that year. So what's going to happen? Well, I can tell you what's going to happen. Unless there is a dramatic 
turning around, unless there are some economic miracles, you're going to wake up and find that you don't have a job and you don't have a bank card and you can't go to the supermarket. And you're going to find that people who've been told that the government is there to feed them, those people are going to say, we've got our rights. And they're going to go and take whatever you've got in your house. There'll be blood in the streets of the cities. The United States is like a person who is in debt for $450,000 on an income of $50,000. This is what it is. By 1995, it's like being in debt for $450,000 on an income of $50,000. What does that mean, Sandor? It means that you can't even pay the interest on the debt. You can't pay the debt back. That's impossible. But you can't even pay the interest on the debt. Now listen to this. By 1995, the United States won't be able to afford the annual interest payment on this debt. Why weren't the American people told this? You know why we weren't told this? Because most of the politicians have got vested interests. They don't care about you or the government. They don't care about the country. All they care about is feathering their own nests. The United States won't even be able to pay the annual interest payment on the debt. Even if interest rates remain steady, and don't head up, as they undoubtedly will, the interest expense alone on the national debt will climb to a sickening $619 billion by 1995. $619 billion will absorb almost all of the projected total personal and corporate taxes uh, that the government will collect that year. To be exact, it will absorb 85 Listen to this, it'll absorb 85% of these revenues. This means that by 1995, to pay the interest on the debt, your government in America will have to put in more than 80 cents of every dollar that you pay, the government will have to put 80 cents of that simply to pay the interest, not to pay off the principal. And by the year 2000, the interest will be miles above the, the taxes. If the government keeps going this way, listen to this, unless there is a radical financial revolution, there's going to be a blood revolution in the streets. Here is a graph. Here we start back at the founding days of the United States of America back in 1780 and this little thin line there is the debt. Practically nothing. 1890, practically nothing. Then this little hiccup here, you see that little hiccup there? That's 1945, that's what it cost to, to win the Second World War. That's that little hiccup there where it goes up here, you see? That's 1945 and then a few years ago it starts to go up and right now it is not going up on 30 degrees or 60 degrees. It's going right towards the ceiling. And that is where we stand now. That's where it is now. This is where it will be in 1995 
with a debt of 6.5 trillion if present rates continue by the year 2000 there'll be a national debt of 13 trillion dollars and the dollar will be less valuable than the Russian ruble did you hear this some of you folks who are putting money in the bank and saying well I've got plenty of money and I'm going to keep it in the bank I've got a surprise for you the banks are going to close when that day happens they say this guy's trying to scare us today yes he is if you don't believe that we are facing a crisis you need to be scared today I'm telling you because the Bible tells me Noah moved with fear God had to put a bit of fear into him before he'd do anything now how did it how did it start how did this horrendous mess start well okay here we come to uh, page two and now I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the presidents who caused this and I'm going to tell you why the presidents of the United States and your Republicans and your Democrats and your congressmen and your senators uh, why they were a part of this now you've heard of Rudman haven't you you know he is the man who who got that bill passed a little while ago it said that Congress had to balance the budget you know this man Senator Rudman you know what he's done he's resigned he said it's hopeless he has said this book is a godsend there's a, a preface by Rudman he says read it while you got an opportunity I have done my best and they won't listen but he said the crisis is so great he said I don't think there's any sense of my staying in the Senate these are budget deficits since 1964 the United States of America in 10 years how many years 10 years from being the greatest creditor in the world became the greatest debtor, debtor in the world did you know that your nation was once the the greatest nation in the world it was once the wealthiest nation in the world today it is in debt more than any other country on the face of the earth and your government did it to you in 10 years and most of us didn't even know about it is this a bit too hard to take so you folks getting mad at me I haven't started yet budget deficit since 1964 it started basically in the days of LBJ he got us into debt for 44.8 billion dollars look where it's up. it's up there though this is where it is today and this is where it's going if it gets down to here the riots will start the economy will collapse this is a fact he started and I'll tell you why LBJ started this deficit spending he wanted to win two wars he wanted to win the Vietnam War well that was fine he wanted to fight the communists and beat them but he wanted to have a war on inequalities in society and so he started the program that was called the Great Society and he said every person is entitled to something I don't believe that that's where I disagree I believe that I am entitled not to welfare but entitled to the right to work I believe in the Protestant work ethic hear this I do not believe in handouts I believe in hand ups and the gospel is the greatest hand up 
And, and you just think it through. The federal government has been flooding the cities with welfare for years. And what have we got? Poverty, 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 poverty. And the place getting burned down. How dumb are they? Or how dumb are we? So Johnson said, we're going to have a great welfare society. He didn't call it a welfare society. He didn't call it socialism. But Lyndon Bain Johnson introduced socialism rampant into the United States of America. The same thing that killed Russia, he brought in. And everybody's got an entitlement. So if you go to Washington today, there are thousands of lobbyists. I represent the farmers. We're entitled. I represent so-and-so. I'm entitled. I represent this ethnic group. I'm entitled. The problem is there's not enough money. And to pay for the welfare and the, the great war machine that this country has, there's not enough money in the bank. So you know what they do? They borrow. They borrow. And they borrow. And now they've got to the place where they can't even find enough money to borrow to pay the interest. And the people don't know. People don't know. Well, at least some know. I think Bill Clinton knows. I hope he's going to have the courage to do something. Then came Richard Nixon, and uh, he tried to pull in the debt. And you can notice he was successful somewhat, but the horse had got out of the, out of the shed, and it went to $67 billion. Uh, Gerald Ford was very, very successful. Uh, he was able to do uh, three times better than LBJ. He got the debt to $126 billion. Then Jimmy Carter, and people think I'm related to him, and did you know I am? This is true. Everywhere I go, they say, you smile like Jimmy Carter. Uh, you don't talk like Jimmy Carter. And they say, are you related? I always tell them the truth. I say, yes, uh, I'm related to him. They say, what relationship? I say, he's my brother. Oh, they say, that's wonderful. We've heard of that fellow who used to drink and haven't heard of you. I said, well, we're all related if we go back to Adam. And we are related. So I'm related to Jimmy Carter. Uh, Related to you too. Hear that? I'm your brother in Christ. In the days of Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter had the great philosophy, spend, 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 and, and uh, interest rates went up to 23%, and there were lots of handouts for people. The welfare society really got going, and Americans who had been proud... Americans who'd been born and bred on the philosophy that a man ought to stand tall and not take a handout said, well, everybody takes a handout, so I'm going to take a handout too. I want to tell you something. I am philosophically, spiritually opposed to government handouts unless people are destitute, but I believe even on those occasions we should help people to learn to work. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. And you go and see what the communists believe. The communists, of course, they, their whole society was built upon this handout philosophy. Believe this, Bob? Hmm. Okay, Jimmy Carter got it to 226 billion. Ronald Reagan outdid them all. Ronald Reagan got the deficit to 1,340 billion dollars. Did you hear that? 1,340 billion dollars and he did it. I'll tell you how he did it. 
he was uh, one of the most successful presidents that America has ever had. He was the most successful in running up the greatest deficit in the history of the human race. Now let me tell you how he did it. He said, we're going to have a great war. We're going to have a war with the Russians. We're going to fight the USSR and we're going to force them into bankruptcy and he did so. And so Reagan, more than any other president in the United States of America, destroyed the economy and the heart of the nation with the deficit. Now I can say these things because I'm not even an American. But I'm telling you the truth. And then you come down to George Bush. And George Bush was fabulously successful. In four years he got a deficit almost as great as Ronald Reagan took to do in eight years. George Bush got a deficit of $104 trillion. It's almost impossible to understand. In the last year George Bush was in office, he spent over what they had in the till, $400 billion, which is more than it cost to win World War II. That stunned you? You're listening to me? In the last year, the Republican government, with the help of the Democrats, who didn't want things to change either, because they had their vested interests, the Republicans and the Democrats were able to spend over the budget $400 billion. That's more than it cost the USA to win the Second World War. Now, have a look at the graph. This is where Bill Clinton comes in. That's why I say pray for the new president. Because unless Bill Clinton works an economic miracle, we are going to be down here very, very soon. And the economy is going to collapse. What will happen? I know I'm talking to some people here today who are very sure of themselves and they say, I don't need God. You may be one of those people. I don't need God. Uh, I'm self-sufficient. I can make do very well without God in my life. God is going to wipe the smile off your face. The day is going to come. There's going to be a time of trouble such as Never was since there was a nation. Did you know that Alan White said that this world is going to be involved in a time of trouble worse than that which came upon Jerusalem of old? In Jerusalem of old, everything collapsed. The economy collapsed. There was bloodshed. There was fighting. There were wars. There were terrible things went on in Jerusalem. And that was a type of what happens in the Great Tribulation. Oh, isn't this prosperity gospel great? The church doesn't have any tribulation and the church goes home to glory and leaves it all to the, the devil back here on this earth. The trouble is with that philosophy, it is not theologically sound. 
It is a part of the cover-up. It is a part of the lie. So look at the graph. So far, this man's predictions have been fulfilled to the very letter. He's been tracking this now for years. He tracked all of this. The graph he has tracked and the country has been right on target within a billion or two dollars. This is the scary thing. He says, unless something happens. Now, folks, I want to make it plain to you today. I am not talking like a prophet. I'm not saying 1995, 1996. I would not be so naive or foolish as to say that. I want to tell you this, and I, this is what I'm telling you. Unless there is a, an economic miracle, what happened to the Soviet Union is going to happen to the United States of America. America is going to collapse like the Soviet Union. Don't think the Soviet Union was some petty little power. It was a power that had this nation scared to death. It was a mighty colossus standing across the world. That nation has been reduced to a beggar status and the ruble is worth nothing. A policeman, a doctor, they get $10 a month. Okay, look at this. What happens? This is where we are now, right here. Right here. What happens if we get down to here? I will tell you what most likely will happen. This is not to scare you. What will happen if the trend continues? Banks will close. There'll be a run on the banks. Banks will close. Credit cards will not operate. Glory. Credit cards will not operate. I got heaps of credit cards. They send them to me all the time. I got gold cards and black cards and silver cards. All sorts of cards. Credit cards will not function. The stock exchange will plummet and close. Businesses everywhere will close. The airlines will stop flying. There will be hyperinflation such as occurred in Germany. You know what happened in Germany with the mark, don't you? You know what happened. To buy a loaf of bread after the First World War in Germany. Don't you know what happened back there? You know what happened. To buy a loaf of bread in Germany, you had to take a wheelbarrow full of millions of marks to buy a loaf of bread. They checked the inflation not every year, not every month, not every week, not every day, every hour. Inflation, thousands in Russia, it is 4,000% now. When I went to Russia two years ago, the ruble was 10 to the dollar. Now it is 600 to the dollar and rising fast. You know why? Economy fell apart. This nation has set up a system of socialism and the American people have been a part of it. You see, they have so many lobbyists, thousands of them, even lobbyists, who were once high-ranking government officials, lobbyists working for every other government in the world to get money sent to them. How can you send money to other nations when you're in debt like that? But we're just sending money out, sending money out. And so you know what the government does? They say to the Fed, print another trillion dollars. Print, And this is what they're doing. 
and what is going to happen unless the trend is immediately arrested, my friend, there is going to be hyperinflation. And the money that you have saved and the money that you put in the bank won't be worth the paper it's written on. It won't even make good wallpaper. I couldn't have preached this some time ago. I didn't know this stuff. Businesses will close. There'll be hyperinflation. The dollar will go into a free fall. And then you better mark my words. There'll be riots in the streets. Because the people that we have taught, you've got a right. You've got a right to a handout. When the government says we've got nothing less left, they're going to say that it is our right to take it from those who've got it. And they'll come up to your home and they'll break down the doors and they'll murder you and they'll rape you and they'll take what you've got. In this country, as Billy Graham said, the best thing about the inauguration, I felt, and I appreciated it, appreciated what the president said, but the best thing about the inauguration was Billy Graham's prayer. Billy Graham in his prayer said, Dear God, we don't come before you as a nation of righteous people. We come before you as sinners. We've sinned and we've broken the laws of God. We have sown to the wind and we are reaping the whirlwind. Billy Graham knows what is happening. I want to tell you folks something. If you look at the clock, God's clock, it's almost midnight. The interesting thing that the people who are preaching the best sermons today and the Lord's coming are not Adventist preachers anymore. They're the economists. They have become the new prophets. Are the other countries better off than the United States? Well, some are, but most of them aren't. Uh, my graphs degenerate a little bit because after I did the second one, I thought I want to get to bed. And so... The third one was done just before I went to bed, so I didn't fill anything in. I just slapped it up. This is the gross public debt as a percentage of the gross domestic product. The gross domestic product is what the nation turns out. Okay? The total amount that it turns out. But this is the public debt as the percentage of what we turn out. Right now in the United States of America... Uh, it's a bit over 60%. You think of that. Our debt is 60% of the gross national product. There is Japan about the same. Germany is about the same. France is a little worse. Italy is really bad. The United Kingdom is a little better. And Canada is even worse than the United States. By the year 2000, at the present projections, the debt in the United States of America will be 140% of its gross national product. If and when that happens, the nation as we know it will cease to exist. Great will be the fall thereof. That's why I told you today about the little girl who said, Daddy, are you still looking after me? I want you to know he's looking after you. I want you to come to uh, two passages quickly, and then I'm going to have a prayer with you. Ezekiel chapter 7 and verse 2. You ought to go and tell your friends this. You ought to tell them that we're living in the most serious era in the history of the world, and Jesus is coming soon. 
And I want to tell you something else. I have met people who are sitting on a, on a bunch of money because they think they're going to have it for retirement. I tell you, they're in for a shock. Ezekiel 7 verse 2. And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel. This is a prophecy to the Israelites and to us in the last days. And end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Then you come to verse 15. The sword is outside and the pestilence and the famine within. Whoever is in the field will die by the sword. And whoever is in the city, famine and pestilence will devour him. There you got the riots around the world. Verse 19, they will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They will not satisfy their souls nor fill their stomach, stomachs because it became their stumbling block of iniquity. That's a prophecy about the last days. It's about to be fulfilled, I believe. Come over now to the book of James, right towards the close of your Bible. Book of James, chapter 5. This is a great passage, folks. This is hot on my heart today. I want you to think about your relationship to God. I want you to know this is true. And if you need to be shaken today, I pray that God is going to shake you. I really do. None of us like to be shaken, but I pray that God will shake me, shake you by his spirit. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Come now, you rich. Weep in hell for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Why? Because they... Not worth anything. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your silver, your gold and silver are corroded. Money loses every bit of value. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure for the last days. I would like to suggest to you today, without being dogmatic or setting times, I would like to suggest this to you that on the basis of the economic evidence, if you put it with all the other evidence of things that are happening in the world, if this evidence I have presented to you is valid, then the scenario does exist for the coming of the time of trouble very, very soon. It means that conditions as we understand it are going to be dramatically changed. And the Bible tells us that now is the time to seek the Lord. One other passage, then we're going to pray together. Luke 21. We're going to come back to that second passage that we turned to. You know, we talked from Matthew 24, and then we got into Luke 21. So I want you to come to Luke 21, verse 25 to 28. Luke 21, verse 25 to 28. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations... You can see how it's going to happen. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and the expectation of those things that are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, after that tribulation, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Does the tribulation come before or after? It comes before. Now, look at verse 28. When you see these things begin to happen, look up. And lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. That's the good news. What I've told you today, a lot of that is bad news. But the bad news, through the grace of God, becomes good news. You know why the grace of God does this? Because the grace of God tells me, Jesus is going to come again. Jesus is going to save his people. 
I believe that very soon we're going to have a complete revolution in society. I believe we're going to have blood in the streets. I believe we're going to have gun battles. I believe we're going to see uh, vast areas of the country reduced to ruin. I believe there is going to become massive unemployment. I believe the church is going to go through the greatest time of trouble, as happened back in the days of the overthrow of Jerusalem. And I believe that Jesus is going to stand with his people in the fire. And then finally Christ is going to come and save his people. That's what I believe. So the Bible says, when these things begin to happen, stand up. Look up. Lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing nigh. If you've enjoyed the program today and would like information regarding the availability of video or audio cassette tapes of today's program, please write to John Carter, Care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. That's John Carter, Care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Today's program number is on your screen. Your prayer requests and comments are also encouraged. Please pray daily for Pastor Carter and Three Angels Broadcasting Network as they share the truth of the Three Angels messages throughout the world, especially into the land of Russia. That's John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. God bless you. People Cassette copies of today's program are available to you. For your copy of today's telecast, write John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Call toll-free 1-800-253-3000. Your gift of $20 or more is requested for each copy. Thank you for caring. Thank you for sharing. 1-800-253-3000.